Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. At this point, the newspaper industry has gotten rolled up and consolidated into a handful of uh, operators that are themselves owned by private equity firms who are now ringing them for cash. Uh, that fact is playing out during COVID in the sense that if if you remember after, after 9-11, it happened in one town, well, two towns, D.C., but primarily one town. The New York Times, the hometown newspaper, did these amazing portraits of people who had died, uh, you know, the, the more than 2,000 people that had died. Um, and, and it, you know, you really connected with them as, as people who had lost their life because of this national tragedy. Well, we've now had, what, the equivalent of 73 9-11s or something like that. And local newspapers are not doing those kinds of stories because they don't have oh, wow. the, the, the kind of bandwidth that, that they should have. And, and profiling people in their community that have died because of COVID, unless you personally know somebody that died, there's not a, the, the kind of connection to this tragedy that we, had, we all had with 9-11 because of what the New York Times was doing with these portraits. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope that you're celebrating in warmth and love with family and friends, maybe just family, <laughs> given this Thanksgiving. Uh, we've got a special Thanksgiving episode of Yang Speaks. I interview Pete Souza. And who the heck is Pete Souza? You're thinking, I've heard that name. I've heard that name. He was the White House photographer for all eight years of the Obama administration. I actually got to benefit from his work. Uh, he took a number of pictures of me, uh, which at the time I was like, ooh, like this photographer, good. <laughs> and now we're interviewing him. It's very heartwarming. He's also the subject of a documentary that's out now, uh, How I See It, that's about his work uh, and his contrasting the Obama administration with the Trump administration in visual form. Uh, it's a great documentary. He's one of a kind. He's like the photographer of history, Hope you enjoy it. Happy Thanksgiving. Pete Souza. It is my pleasure to welcome to Yang Speaks, maybe the best known photographer walking the planet today. He was the White House photographer under President Obama uh, and has done a lot of things both before and even since. Pete Souza. Welcome, Pete. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Andrew. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the heck out of your being here. It's so fun. Uh, and um, I don't know if you know this, but you took my picture in the White House a couple of times. Um, I don't suppose you remember. Well, <laughs> I, had, I, I photographed a lot of people coming and going. 
So I'm going to regale everyone with this story because I think a lot of people dream about visiting the White House and whatnot. Uh, I got invited there as a champion of change in 2012. Uh, I was 37 years old at the time. Uh, and uh, Pete was there taking pictures of the gathering. There was a group of us with President Obama. And then one of the most delightful things about the entire experience was that then you go with Pete down the hall to this photo uh, alcove, I would describe it. And then Pete takes your picture. You get like a mini individual White House photo, um, courtesy of one of the greatest photographers of all time. And then they send it to you afterwards and it becomes your profile photo. <laughs> it's like the greatest experience in the world. I, I don't know if, if you realize how uh, impactful those mini photos that you did uh, of guests were. I, I don't, I mean, I guess you've talked to people like me all the time. So everyone tells no, you the same I, story, you know. You know, certainly, certainly was aware how important those were uh, for, for uh, people, especially if it was their only time meeting President Obama, you know, it's, it's, it's a keepsake for them. So, um, you know, and I think my office did a good job working with all the different points of contact at the White House to make sure that we did get those pictures out to people so that they would have their keepsake photo that they could then make their profile photo. It, it, it really was. It was like, uh, like the ultimate school yearbook photo. <laughs> like revved up to uh, a thousand. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people would want to know, um, how the heck do you get a job as a White House photographer? It, it seems like there are so many photographers uh, throughout the country. Um, and, uh, you know, photojournalism, it's something that makes me really sad. I'd love to talk to you about this too, where I feel like as a field, um, uh, it's shrinking uh, in large part because so many of these newspapers are, are folding and that uh, the newspapers would be the primary employer, the magazines too, the print magazines. Um, so before we get into kind of the future of photojournalism, how did you uh, develop uh, and then wind up with maybe the highest profile photojournalist gig in the world? Well, I mean, let me preface this by saying that given where we are today, which is, um, you know, not long after Joe Biden has been elected. I've got a lot, a lot of people reaching out to me saying, I want to be Joe Biden's photographer. And, you know, and my response to them is, I, I try to be blunt. I go, if, if, if Joe Biden doesn't know you now, he's not going to hire you. You know, I mean, there's, he's had a campaign photographer for the last two years. You know, that, that's the guy that's likely to get the job. For me, uh, I, I just by, you know, sheer coincidence, these things happen in life. I was working for the Chicago Tribune. I was based in DC in Washington. So when Barack Obama was elected to the Senate in 2004, uh, Jeff Zeleny, who was then a reporter with the Washington Bureau of the Tribune, he and I documented Obama's first year in the Senate. And I got access that nobody else got because I was with the quote unquote hometown newspaper. So I got to know him on a professional, uh, you know, just in a professional way. But he also got a chance to see how I worked, you know, which is, you know, I like to say I work with, you know, a small footprint. I try not to interfere with what's going on. Um, and, 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 you know, and he saw that I took my job seriously. So, you know, skip ahead to four years, he gets elected president and asked me to, you know, to be his White House photographer. 
So that's the way it happened for me. I'd imagine there were campaign photographs being taken all the time. That was So that was not you or that was you? 2007 is when he started the campaign because he started actually in February 2007, pretty, you know, pretty early. And I covered probably the first three months of the campaign. And then I quit, <laughs> I quit the trip Tribune because I thought they had just been bought by a real estate magnet and I didn't like the direction the newspaper was going. I was, uh, you, you know, and I, I just didn't think that I could stomach it anymore. And even though I sort of had the inside track to covering his campaign, I just could not see myself working for the, the Tribune anymore. And I ended up taking a, a, a teaching job, a photojournalism teaching job at Ohio University. Um, and then I would occasionally, as a freelancer, uh, you know, hook up with him on the campaign trail. Um, so I sort of kept my foot in the door a little bit. And then he wins in 2008. Uh, and then you get the word, hey, come back to D.C. and uh, uh, become the White House photographer. That must have been quite a call. <laughs> was, was it from uh, Brock himself or was it from someone on his team? You know, Gibbs was um, kind of my main contact with Obama. And, you know, and, and Robert Gibbs, a lot of people, you know, just think of him as the uh, uh, press secretary. But Gibbs was one of the most influential aides. He was really like sort of a senior advisor uh, as well as the press secretary. So he, he was the one uh, who called me on behalf of the president-elect. He called me the night before classes for the winter quarter were just we're supposed to begin and on a Sunday night. And so the following uh, morning, Monday, I walked into my boss at Ohio University and told him that I was uh, leaving that afternoon for D.C. and I was quit quitting my job. <laughs> I kind of had given them a heads up that this might happen. But, you know, you never know until until you get that call. So then you proceeded to spend Eight years as the White House photographer. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, you'd spent a lot of time in D.C., so you were very familiar with the environment. Um, but coming into the White House, um, that must have been an incredible journey where, where you must have felt like you were documenting history essentially every day <laughs> for, for, uh, for eight years. Um, what was that adjustment like? Um, and, and the other question I'd have is, it seems completely physically impossible to me for any one human to cover everything that happened in the White House. So is there like a whole team of you? Yeah, I had a staff. Um, but my, my approach going in was um, that I, I was going to be all in every day because my attitude was, if you were going to document for history, you, you, A, you can't predict when history is going to happen. You know, you don't yes. get... You don't always get notice. two hours notice. Yeah. Um, but then also, uh, in terms of photography, you know, I just felt that the fleeting moments, little moments, the way he interacts with certain people, uh, if you're not there all the time, you're, you're definitely not going to make that picture. And so I wanted to make sure that I was all there all the time to make those fleeting moments because I didn't ever want to miss anything. So that's sort of the way I approached uh, the job. And I, I, you know, I knew what I was in for. Uh, I don't think my wife knew what I was in for um, because, you know, you kind of put your personal life on hold for, and, you know, in my case for eight years, but, um, 
you know, I, I did have a staff, so it's don't feel sorry for me because I could have easily, you know, taken a day off here and there. But, uh, you know, my attitude was just always be there. So when does the day start and end for you in that situation? Like, I feel like you'd want to live near the White House just to be able to get there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't live that far. I lived about 15, 20 minutes away. And um, I would try to get there. You know, one of the you know things that we have to worry about as staffers that he, he doesn't really have to worry about is, you know, you got to commute. You got to get there. Whereas his commute was, you know, two minutes. Walk residents to the <laughs> Oval Office. So, but I would try to get there at least an hour before him. Uh, he would he would come down to the Oval Office sometime between nine and ten in the morning. Uh, so I try to get there, you know, about an hour before. I, I did have responsibilities as the head of my office, and I would try to deal with those either early in the morning or at the end of the day. And then I would basically tag along with him. Um, all day long until he went home for dinner. And, um, you know, and sometimes after dinner, he would come back to the West Wing or there'd be um, events, uh, you know, on the state floor or outside of D.C. that he would go to at night. And so, you know, every day was, you know, a little different, but pretty much I would just tag along with him, you know, at least 10 hours a day, sometimes 15, sometimes longer. So you, you're documenting him. People like me come in and people like me, you don't really remember because uh, I met President Obama, uh, let's say, either three or four times, something like that, um, either in a group or in a collective setting. And you were joking that like it, by the sixth picture, you might recognize someone again. <laughs> um, I did get a picture every time I met him, which was was kind of nice. It's like it was just you're around him. There all there were always these photographers trying to capture the moment. Um, so and you don't even realize it when you're the guest at that moment. And so then you just get the photo later, and you're like incredible. <laughs> you know, like like you know, all of my exchanges uh, immortalized. Um, now you, you you probably have all sorts of um, crazy experiences and recollections. Was there anything that you're able to share about an experience where you were like, wow, that just happened? For me, a lot of the the wow moments were not necessarily like the big event, but more um, the, the those moments that I talked about, those little moments, were, which really um, define him as a human being. You know, I mean, I, like, for, I'll just, this is just a for instance. I mean, Ben Rhodes, um, who you know was a deputy national security advisor and his daughter, he he came in with his daughter like around Halloween time one year, and she was just learning to crawl. And so Obama gets down on the rug of the Oval Office, squats down, and gets Ella to, to crawl to him. And then he lies down on his back and he's lifting her up. And, you know, those moments are just like, I can't believe this is happening as I'm photographing this. Um, you know, certainly the Bin Laden raid and big historic events like that, obviously, are, are also wow in, in a kind of different way, you know, where, where you sort of really feel the weight uh, of history uh, taking place right in front of you. Um, so, um, but, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that was advantageous about being a seasoned photographer, photojournalist, is I was sort of able to to keep my emotions in check, you know, and not get so um, 
high, if you will, when when these uh, when these big moments are happening. So just, you know, just sort of try, try to keep my my level pretty even, so I'm not so overwhelmed by what's happening that I'm I'm still able to make you know pictures. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN dot com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high-quality mattress... It is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. You've had uh, any number of books, uh, of photo books, um, seven published books uh, over the last number of years, and one of them, Shade, A Tale of Two Presidents, got a ton of attention more recently, uh, because of a documentary about your work, it came out originally in 2018, um, and, and now it's having a resurgence. Um, 
it, it must be incredibly fun and exciting for you to be publishing these catalogs of your work that have, are touching so many people, even years after the fact. The, the shade book, you know, would never have come into existence if, if Donald Trump hadn't been elected president. It really chronicles his first couple of years, the craziness of how he conducted himself in office. And then the, and by comparison, I would show photographs and have my captions of similar situations with President Obama. And I think that contrast, you know, it really made people stop and think about how crazy this administration is, you know, how crazy he is in terms of the way he behaves in office. Yeah, the juxtaposition between Trump's tweets and then some photo of uh, Barack being a human being, <laughs> it, was, it was very art, artfully done. Uh, and it's one of the things that makes it really pressing to figure out why over 70 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. What's your thinking of why? I mean, it, you know, this guy, you know, the one thing that he does good is is market himself, even though most of the <laughs> Most of the marketing is based on, you know, lies and uh, untruths. Yeah, there are a couple of ingredients for me, Pete. Uh, Number one is uh, just simple polarization, where at this point, there are a lot of people who are just like on the Republican team or on the Democrat team, and uh, they'll vote for whomever uh, on the basis of uh, maybe a few key policies. I think a really huge part of it is that Many Americans mistrust what they see as career politicians. They think they're phonies. They don't think they're, they're actually there for the right reasons. And that Donald Trump, for all of his bad qualities, strikes them as somehow more, quote unquote, genuine in a particular way because he, his behavior is more unconstrained. In a different kind of way, do you, think, do you think that's why you struck a chord with so many young people? That, I you think know, so. You, you, you didn't come at it as a, you know, as a politician, and, and yet you... You got a lot of attention during during the the, the primaries uh, for for good reason. I mean, well, thank you, Pete, for noticing. Uh, there's like a, um, I think there there's a desire among some Americans for a different approach to politics. I think that that uh, antipathy towards politicians is frankly stronger among Republicans than Democrats. I think that there were some Democrats who were very happy to see. Uh, an entrepreneur and non-politician like myself run. Uh, but I think that thirst is higher in the Republican Party. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, so we talked about how the your, your uh, book Shade um, has been boosted tremendously by the documentary that came out about you, uh, The Way I See It. How did that documentary come about? So they approached me about two years ago. Uh, it, it was Laura Dern's production partner, Jamie Lemons. At that time, I was promoting the Shade Book, actually, and um, and I do the you know I would do these uh, presentations with big big screen showing the photographs, sort of doing the same thing I kind of do on Instagram, and what I eventually did in the book uh, in front of a live audience. And um, she she and Evan Hayes, another producer who had done the film uh, Free Solo. Uh, came to one of my presentations and I think they were like, okay, this is, we got to do something with this. And so it took them probably, I don't know, two months to convince me because I like, you know, my privacy and 
Very um, ironic, Pete. There you yeah. were, a fly on the wall for all these other people, yeah. and then they wanted and, to be the subject. <laughs> you know, obviously, I, I had a following on Instagram, but there's still a, a fair amount of anonymity when you're when you're not like. It's true. You're not the subject. It's just you're not the subject. But like, so yeah. you know, I had to think about it. Um, I'd convince my wife <laughs> that it was okay, and. It seems like uh, you owe your wife a great deal, Pete. <laughs> I do, I do, for sure. And I, you know, I just thought that um, it was worth giving up that some more anonymity um, to try to reach people with this film. Because I think, you know, not everybody's on social media. And I thought, you know, a documentary film could do a really effective job of, of uh getting you know my message out what what you know what i've been doing the last essentially four years and and throwing shade so that's how it came about how did you feel about the experience i've actually been the subject of a documentary myself there are times when it's great and there are times when you regret your decision to say yes <laughs> there are times when you're like i really do not want to have this camera following me around right now i don't want someone asking me about you know what i'm thinking and feeling um uh, so, but then, uh, at least in my case, like I was very proud of uh, of the result. Uh, you know, it felt like all of the energy um, uh, and dedication and work paid off. Um, what, what was your experience? Yeah, I had some of that same experience where uh, you know wh while you're in it, <laughs> you're you're you're. There were times when it was difficult to to say why am I why am I doing this um, and. Um, you know, and I didn't have editorial control over the film. You know, it was, I tell people, it's not my film. I'm just in it. Um, but, but, it, but I did have some influence on, on what photographs were, were going to be used. Um, you, you know, once they, once they showed me a rough cut and I was like, well, that, that's great. But why, why don't you consider these pictures for that section? And so that, that, that sort of helped me. Um, you know, I think uh, feel good about the 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 film as a as an entity as a whole, and and I you know I thought they did a great job. To, I thought you know I, 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 I despite its main subject, I think it's a great film. Is the way I would <laughs> when I agreed to do it. Uh, one of the things I said is, "You've got to promise me you're going to do everything you possibly can." to get this film released before the election, you know, yes. and they, they gave me, you know, you can't ever say for sure, but they gave me their word that they would try. And, and they did. And we, you know, we had some huge complications because of COVID. They kind of had to finish a lot of the production uh, and, and make um, uh, choices based because of COVID where not everybody was in the room. I mean, there were, they were, you know, doing editing from, you know, all over the country um, where, you know, individual producers and, and the director and the editor were all in different places. So that made it really challenging. And uh, I mean, the, the, the final interviews they did with me, uh, we did over Zoom like this. And then yeah. they sent me like an HD camera um, that I hooked up myself. So that while they were interviewing me, it would be on this, you know, HD quality film. Um, so there were like kind of things like that that they had to do. There are a couple of the interviews that they had scheduled that they had to scrap. 
but for the most part, we were able to, I say we, I mean, they were able to uh, pull, put it together, uh, you know, despite uh, COVID challenge, challenges. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So again, you may be the most famous photojournalist in the world uh, for good reason. I mean, you're incredibly skilled and talented. There's something uh, ineffable about what talented photographers can do. Uh, It's wild. I actually have no understanding of how someone like you does what you do versus someone else who's also talented Uh, but there's actually something of a difference. And uh, this is a long-winded way of not just singing your praises, but also trying to identify the process that made you you and whether that's actually still going to be possible for future photojournalists. Because we're in an era now where you have someone like me, I've got like a device, and I'm just taking, I'm sure, terrible pictures. I've been a terrible photographer like my entire life, (laughs) really. But I feel like now with technology... I'm the norm. Like, I think that there are a lot of terrible photographers because the pictures are so um, ephemeral seeming. It's like I can take 10 at the same time. So who really cares if I've done something uh, specific or captured something um, magical? If, as I'm surmising, the future of photojournalism is not exactly robust, like what can or should we do to change that or help support it? I mean, the good thing about... uh today where we are is that um, any person that wants to be a photojournalist uh, can have a forum to present their work because of the internet. They can, they can do it on Instagram. They can do it on the website. They can um, post their own pictures and they, they can, they can almost be like their own, um, you know, uh, photo newspaper, if you will. The bad thing about it is how do they get, how do they sustain that financially right it's um, uh, nobody's paying you necessarily to to do that and as you say n- newspapers have cut back 
physicians. I live in Madison, Wisconsin now. They only have four staff photographers where, uh, you know, it's probably, uh, I think back in the day, they probably had 12 or 15. Um, you know, the large newspapers have cut staff. 2,000 newspapers themselves have gone out of business. So, you know, you talked about how the Chicago Tribune at one time was getting bought by some hedge fund back in um, 07 or 08 or whatever it was. Uh, at, at this point, the newspaper industry has gotten rolled up and consolidated into a handful of uh, operators that are themselves owned by private equity firms who are now ringing them for cash. Um, so they're not growth operations. I just want to let people know 2,000 papers have disappeared. That we know of and that number is going up all the time. No, and I think it's, you know, it, that uh, that fact is playing out during COVID in the sense that if if you remember after after 9-11, it happened in one town, well, two towns, D.C., but primarily one town. The New York Times, the hometown newspaper, did these amazing portraits of people who had died, uh, you know, the, the more than 2,000 people that had died, um, and, and it, you know, you really connected with them as, as people who had lost their life because of this national tragedy. Well, we've now had what the equivalent of 73 9-11s or something like that. And local newspapers are not doing those kinds of stories because they don't have oh, wow. the, the, the kind of bandwidth that, that they should have and, and profiling people in their community that have died because of COVID. It's affecting us that we're, we're you know, we, we think of these people who have died and we don't really know them. Unless you personally know somebody that died, there's not a, the, the kind of connection to this tragedy that we had, we all had with 9-11 because of what the New York Times was doing with these portraits. The loss of local journalism and photojournalism specifically has a real profound impact. Um, and I certainly would not have drawn the comparison you just made um, but it's very, very powerful and apt. You know, you think about all the people that have lost their lives that, uh, you know, New York Times did that headline where it just had their names and that was very dramatic. Um, but, you know, like, uh, as we all know, a photograph is much, much more, uh, powerful than a name. Yeah. And, you know, and we, we, we don't see many of the local newspapers getting inside, you know, hospitals and showing, the, you know, what the, the trauma that's going on and, and continues to go on for months um, for, for whatever reason. I mean, early on, we, see, we saw that in the New York Times, the Washington Post, some other big newspapers, but we're not seeing that by and large in, 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 in daily newspapers across the country. So, so people are, you know, listening to what, you know, a, a person who shall not be named telling us how it's all a hoax and, you know, it's, it's a, we're right around the corner and, you know, it, part of it is that the local newspapers and local TV stations are not covering this stuff on, on their local level. One of the things I was going to, you talked about uh, photojournalism specifically, um, even when I was teaching back in 2007 or 2008, I was telling the students, that the staff jobs are going away and you've got to rethink, you know, if you really want to do photojournalism, how are you going to stay afloat? And, you know, because most, most people end up being freelancers. And so you need to know how to run a business. And you also need to understand that in order to make it financially, 
you've got to you've got to uh, branch out and not think just about doing photojournalism, but you've got to survive by doing other kinds of photo, photo photography to supplement your income, whether that's shooting weddings or portraits or a little commercial work or something. Doesn't mean that you give up doing photojournalism, but to stay afloat, you've just got to branch out a little bit. Um, and you know, another just sort of like a little off topic, but you know. You talk about yourself with your iPhone or whatever kind of smartphone you have making pictures. And, you know, I would argue that a professional photographer who is good at their craft will do a better job than you. However, definitely better than me. (laughs) However, citizen journalism is is important to to, it's been important, especially the last five, five years in documenting um, things that are going on. I, I mean, Think about this. The whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement uh, just got ratcheted up so much because of a 17-year-old high school girl who had the presence of mind to film the whole George Floyd incident. And it wasn't like one of those videos that you see where it's like you can't quite tell what's going on. This girl held her shit together the entire time, not knowing that he was going to die, um, but just stayed with it for seven minutes. You know, and, you know, I will actually reach out to the Biden people uh, at some point and say she she deserves the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She really does. Um, and that's just some kid, high school kid with a phone that had a major impact on this year. Oh, major impact. Uh, hopefully on U.S. history, really. I mean, if, if reform does occur, uh, or even, I mean, even if it doesn't, I guess they would tell another story, but it would still be historic. Um, it's true. It's one of the things that I've always known is that these things are happening. It's just now we can see them. Uh, and we can see them because of uh, smartphones and these new technologies. So they're definitely massive value adds and virtues. But you were casting photojournalism as like, look, you need to be able to pay the bills. Um, and so, as you know, I ran on universal basic income. So I guess you can imagine a world where everyone just had more money uh, flowing into their hands, that more people could become photojournalists vocationally or, you know, as, as a way um, to express themselves and, and share pictures with the world. Um, there, there's a photojournalist named Chris Arnaud who uh, left his Wall Street job and then became a photographer of working class Americans. I don't know if you've seen his work, um, but he was doing it purely as a passion. Um, and then now it has taken on a life of its own because he's very talented and he's been documenting in many ways like the wreckage of American society. Um, but it, it makes me think of that, like if you were to free people from the confines of um, needing to make money to pay their bills in any given month. I'm sure a lot more people would want to uh, pursue photojournalism and, and documenting the lives of the people around them. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's true. So on your side, are you optimistic or pessimistic about um, both the field that you're, you're uh, possibly like the walking embodiment of it at this point uh, of photojournalism and the country writ large given that I feel like you've seen more than just about any of us uh, at, like in terms of both the best and the, the worst uh, of this country. Yeah, no, I, I, I am optimistic. Um, I, I, you know, I sort of implore the photojournalists of today 
given the propensity of the you know the current president, the outgoing president, to uh, label the press the enemy of the people, and and you know this whole fake news stuff, you know, it's, which has been really dangerous, and it's going to be hard to shake that. Um, and I think that how that affects photojournalists is they've got to be absolutely um, uh, ethical and honest and, and, and not, you know, not do anything uh, to call in, the, uh, call in a question, the authenticity of, of, of their photographs. This is one thing that, that's going to be particularly important in an era of deep fakes where you can just doctor everything. One thing that um, like uh, an expert pushed me towards, which I thought was really fascinating, was that you can create watermarks on individuals' cameras. So in your case, you take photos and if it says Pete Sue's, all of a sudden it becomes like, you know, part of history. I'm sure that there were all sorts of fake Pete Sousa's out there <laughs> that like tried to, to, to uh, uh, pawn off their work. Um, so this expert uh, suggested that one of the things that we need in order to establish truth is that there actually is a way to tie every photo to uh, the photojournalist through their device. You essentially have a watermark on the camera and said this really was Pete Sousa's work and it's uh, unaltered. Um, and that in some ways, photojournalists could become like the last safeguard on whether what we're seeing is real or not. Yeah, I mean, I think there's people smarter than me that are working on this. And I, th I think I think it's it's important, but it's also important to know, you know, you, you need to know your source. Like if you're on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, I was really offended the other day when I posted something on uh a new picture. It was at a protest here at the state capitol. Uh, and, and there was an argument going on between some Trump people and some Biden people. And some one of my followers, you know, just their comment was, this is obviously photoshopped. You know, and that connotation, Photoshop means, you know, it was fabricated. And, oh, yeah. and I like really went after this person because if you know me, Anybody that knows me that knows is a that, real affront to your integrity. <laughs> I would never, yeah, yeah. you know, mess with a photo like that. And so that really pissed me off. Um, and it's, it's I, I appreciate my other, most of my followers because they all come to my defense. You know, they 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 know me and they know what they're looking at is is authentic and real and and not altered in any way. Um but you know, it, it it not every picture from every photographer has that same degree of authenticity, and that and that I mean, what you're talking about, I think, could be an important way to 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 you know verify that what you're looking at is for real. Yeah, not again, not everyone's Pete Souza, but if everyone had like this stamp where it's essentially like I and the device stand by this, and it's unaltered, and the rest of it, it, it could be incredibly important. Um, the fact that anyone would accuse you of that just seems patently ridiculous to me. And it's a sign of the time. It's back to that mistrust that we were talking about a little bit earlier. So if people want to see the way I see it, this important documentary with you as the subject, uh, what's the best way that uh, they can see it uh, from their own home or I guess it, possibly in the theater, though it's, it's probably more likely to be streamed? Uh, I don't know what theaters it's in right now, um, but you can see it from home. 
and uh, Peacock, which is the new NBC streaming service, it's free on Peacock, and you can sign up for Peacock for free. So if you know if you want to watch it for free, that's the way to do it. It's also on demand at you know the usual platforms like iTunes, uh, Prime, and a whole bunch of others. Well, it's certainly money well spent. We are very hungry for excellent content uh, and uplifting content nowadays, Pete. And I dare say that you're responsible for more uplifting content than maybe anyone else walking the planet. Uh, So congratulations to you and your team for telling your story. It's really incredible. They don't make them like you um, anymore. And and hopefully we can make it so that there there will be other Pete Souzas. Maybe, who knows, maybe this... uh, um, lucky soul that ends up being the Biden <laughs> photographer uh, will will end up uh, carving out a legacy similar to yours, which I dare say would be like the, the highest aim that they could uh, aspire to. Uh, so really, thank you for helping us all experience history at a higher level. Thank you for giving us like a window into um, uh, a White House that was like the defining White House for so many of us. And on a personal level, thank you for taking such exceptional photos of me when I was in the White House that it uh, made me feel better about uh, myself and my presence in the world for years. Well before, because there there was never going to be like an Andrew Yang presidential run. Um, You know, like I I can prove to anyone that I had no intention of running for president simply by the fact that my organization had no operations in either Iowa or New Hampshire (laughs) and and had operations like a lot of other places. Um, So as like an ordinary civilian getting that portrait that you you did of me, like it was, it was really empowering and energizing. It was wild. There was the one with me and Obama. Yes. But then there was like a, a simple headshot you took of me ended up, um, ended up being the jacket photo on my first book, actually. Uh, you've touched so many lives in so many ways, mostly from people that have experienced your work, uh, you know, just seeing a photo. They might not even know you took it, just like the, the you know, like major photo of Obama that um, everyone recognizes. Uh, you know, you've touched, at this point, I, like hundreds of millions of lives. Uh, so thank you personally, and thank you on behalf of the world for helping us understand our world uh, and humanity a bit better. Well, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. And I, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, on my street, uh, you have a couple of members of the Yang gang and they still have their bumper stickers on their cars. So, well, please say hey to them for me. Say that Andrew Yang appreciates the heck out of them and check out the way I see it. uh, This incredible documentary about Pete and his work of the last number of years. It really does. Um, elevate your understanding of both the, the kind of work that a photojournalist does, but also a bit more about what's going on uh, in our country today. Uh, congratulations to you and the team for making it. Thanks. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs>